I don't think that the people in this position should be forced to sell by 30 June purely to take advantage of a tax outcome. I think that's very foolish policy if that is what they are trying to do. I don't believe it is what they're trying to do. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 235 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Property and tax. What are the current issues? We already covered one in episode 222 about the recent change to the main residence exemption. But I wanted to get Bob Deutsch's take on this and also ask him what other tax issues there are with respect to property. So here's Bob Deutsch, Senior Tax Counsel of the Tax Institute. There's lots of issues with property and tax, perhaps. I'll start with the big one that people need to be aware of, and that is the main residence exemption and foreign residence. And this has been a topic that has been ventilated extensively in the press, although one would argue not as extensively as we would have liked. But the main impact here will be on expatriates, people who have lived in Australia for some time who move offshore And after they have moved offshore, they retain what was previously their main residence in Australia. For people in that position, if they decide to sell that principal residence after the 30th of June this year, in other words, after the 30th of June 2020, they will not be able to claim any CGT exemption on the basis that it was for a large part of their ownership their principal private residence. Now, that is a deliberate legislative change by the current government. We fought stridently against it, as did many others. Robin Jacobson, in particular from Tax Banter, tried yes. valiantly to get this stopped. Unfortunately, it's all come to nothing. The legislation has passed. And the effect is that People who are in this position need to sell their property before the 30th of June 2020 in order to secure the benefit of the CGT exemption. Now, to give some context to this with a practical example, if you assume the case of somebody who purchased a property in, say, 2000, and we'll just work in round figures here, and they live in that property as their principal private residence until today, say. So 20 years. So they're there for 20 years and today they move offshore. If they wait until after the 30th of June 2020, the effect of this legislation is that the difference between the price they sell for after the 30th of June 2020 and the price they bought for in 2000, half of it will come in as their income in the year in which they sell. If they are no longer a resident for tax purposes. That's correct. That's correct, which I'm assuming would be the case if they leave today with the intention of moving offshore and staying offshore. Now, that to me is a very unfair result because what should have happened in terms of government policy is that they should be treated 
as not being entitled to the principal private residence exemption from, from the, the date, date on which they leave. In other words, the date on which we assume they become non-resident. Now, that would mean only a very small portion of that capital gain that I've just described would be subject to tax instead of the whole lot. Now, this is a huge difference because one would imagine that a property purchased in 2000 for a million dollars would in 2020 probably be worth $3 million, having regard to what's gone on in the property market. Now, obviously, that depends on where the property is and what sort of property it is. But if it's a Sydney property, it's quite likely that there's been significant movement in that property in an upwards direction, in that property value in an upwards direction. So that is a big issue that needs to be addressed by anybody who is in that position. And it's a lot of expats. We're talking about thousands of people who live in Hong Kong, in New York, in London, in Frankfurt, lots of Australians in that position. The only other way they can deal with it after the 30th of June 2020 is if they come back. Become a resident again. Become a resident again. Now, that's a tall ask if you actually don't want to do that. If you don't want to become a resident back in Australia, to have to do that just for tax reasons is quite an ask. I'd also just caution that if you do it only for tax reasons, you also have to consider whether Part 4A would apply to you because you're basically coming back to reside in Australia purely for the purpose of securing the benefit of the tax exemption that otherwise would be lost. I think the tax office would struggle to make that argument stick, but it's something that can't be ignored as a possibility. Three questions. Sure. The first one is you said legislation has passed. Mm -hmm. Do you know when? It would have been late last year. Oh, I, I couldn't see. give you a date, but it was passed. I it see. would have been before Christmas, I think. I see. So early to mid-December. I believe so. And yes, of course, Bob is right. The legislation was passed by the Senate on the 5th of December 2019. Second question, do you know why the legislator created such a cliff? Why they made it all or nothing? Look, I don't, to be honest. I can see what the motivation was to cut off the availability of the principal private residence exemption once you became a non-resident. That seems yes, that logical. Makes sense. That makes sense to everybody. But why such a cliff? I still don't quite understand why they've made it in effect. Well, I would call it retrospective. I know the government resists that term in this context, but I think it's retrospective in the sense that it goes back and deprives taxpayers of a status which they otherwise had previously. But I couldn't tell you what really drove the government to adopt such a hard and fast rule. We pleaded with them to adopt a pro rata approach of the kind that I described earlier, but they weren't listening. And they didn't say why? Not as far as I'm aware. Do you think it's to help the housing market, to force more properties into the market? Well, if it is, I think it's a very misguided policy. I don't think that properties should be, that people in this position should be forced to sell by 30 June purely to take advantage of a tax outcome. I think that's very foolish policy if that is what they are trying to do. I don't believe it is what they're trying to do. But that seems but to be they the never outcome. showed they never showed why they are pursuing this agenda. I don't believe so. And then the third question or thought is, do you think we will see a lot more cases now 
in front of the courts where people will argue that they are still or that they were still a resident as opposed to, you know, at the moment all residence cases are about people arguing that they are no longer a resident of Australia. Do you think that will go now into the opposite direction? It will in some instances, but I don't think it's going to be a general trend because being a resident has lots of other implications as well. So worldwide income worldwide income suddenly becomes in the Australian taxable basket. So, you know, you jump from the fire into the frying pan in in a sense. You may solve one problem, but you may be creating a whole host of other problems. So I don't think that will become a trend purely as a result of this, but there will be instances, I'm sure, where people will weigh up the possibilities and yes, seek to argue that they are a resident in order to be able to avail themselves of the CGT exemption. But I don't think it's going to be an overall trend, but there'll be selected instances where people can do the maths and work out, well, it'll be better for me if I try and put this argument. Uh, to be clear, it's not as straightforward as just putting the argument. You do need some cogent evidence to suggest that you are a resident and the commissioner in those cases would argue to the contrary and would point to certain factors as indicating that they're not residents. An example of that has arisen already in the context of what were referred to as the backpacker cases that I did have a lot to do with. And the backpacker cases essentially were backpackers who were trying to argue they were Australian residents and the commissioner was arguing they were non-residents. So there would be precedent for that, for the Commission to argue that proposition. So with property, that's the main topic the, at the moment, the main residence exemption for foreign residents. Yeah, there are a few other bits and pieces in property that are important. Vacant land is one area that is important that people understand. Since the 1st of July 2019... Expenses such as council rates and interest costs, interest costs connected with vacant land are not deductible. That's a specific legislative change. Yes, and then also I think New South Wales and Victoria introduced the... Oh, no, that affects empty apartments, doesn't it? Yes. So yes, that doesn't yes. affect vacant land. That's yes. a different topic. That's a slightly different topic. There's also travel costs to inspect properties since the 1st of July 2017, so this has been around a little while, they are also not deductible. People often forget that these things have been turned from deductible into non-deductible. And the only other thing that I would mention in passing is in relation to state taxes. There's an important measure in New South Wales in particular, a three-month amnesty for land tax errors and that expired on the 31st of January 2020. Now, there was talk at some stage that it was going to be extended, but I'm not sure it ever was. So people do need to check before they seek to rely on that amnesty. It may be that they are already out of time. And I think that probably concludes as much as I need to say about property at the moment. The big issue clearly is the non-resident one. If you've got expat clients or you're an expat yourself, you'll need to think about how you're going to handle the sale of a property which once was your principal private residence, what you're going to do before 30 June, if anything. Welcome back. 
thinking again why the legislator chose a cliff rather than a slope for the main residence exemption for foreign residents, I think a slope wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked at all in a practical sense. Let's take Sean and Sheila. They left Australia in 1990 and went to New York. It was meant to be just for a few months, but then they stayed a bit longer and a bit longer. And at some stage during those 30 years, Sean and Sheila stopped being Australian residents for tax purposes. But how to pinpoint exactly when that happened? Because that is what you need to do for a slope. So the ATO would start with assessing the capital gain from 1990 onwards when they left Australia. But then Sean and Sheila will say, no, we were still residents back then. We still had our goldfish there and our bank accounts and our super and, of course, our house. And so then the ATO would have to go back and say, OK, but in 1992, you closed your bank account. So then you start being foreign residents. And then Sean and Sheila would come back and say, no, it wasn't in 1992 because we still had our super. And then the ATO would have to go back and assess them from 1995 when they cashed out their super. And it just would be a saga, an administrative nightmare. You would have these 30 years and how to pinpoint when exactly Australian residency stopped is close to impossible. Yes, you have the individual tax returns to go by because Sean and Sheila would have had to indicate their tax residency in those. But maybe they just lodged not necessary returns over all those years and just slowly slipped off the radar. Thinking about it, even though it can have a highly unfair outcome, I start thinking that the cliff is the only way to manage this because then you have one clear date, the date of exchange of contract, and it is just this one date and not 30 years you have to scrutinize for tax residency indices. This is my thought and I wish I had shared this with Bob when I saw him because it would have been good to get his thoughts. So please, can you help me? Email me and correct me if you think I got this completely wrong. Before talking about property and tax, I asked Bob something else, which I wanted to share with you. And actually, can I ask you something off topic mm -hmm. to begin with? Yes. When did you move? Here? Yes. Well, we moved to 50... Well, no, you used no, to be in, in the CBD. Pitt Street. Pitt Street, yeah. We moved to 50 Miller Street last year. And then you moved again? And then we moved again. I see. Here. Because these are our permanent premises. So we moved to temporary premises at 50 Miller Street while this was being fitted out. I see. The trigger point for the move was because you needed more space? No, no. I think it was... Uh, financial. Financial. Is North Sydney less expensive than the CBD? Definitely. Definitely. Especially that CBD. Yeah. And you seem to have a lot more space here. I think... You, like do, your yeah. reception area is a lot grander yeah, than yeah. it was yeah, in no, it's true. Pitt Street. Yeah. And it looks all very nice and new. Yeah. So if you need to visit the Tax Institute, remember that they have moved there now in North Sydney. In the next episode, episode 236, Melissa Donnelly of Affinity Comms will talk about personal branding for accountants. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <laughs>